turn with me now, please, for a little time to Philippians chapter 3. Epistle to the Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And we're focusing this morning upon the element of knowledge that arises in Paul's testimony in these verses. We've already looked at some aspects of the subject of knowing God, looking at it in terms of something of a definition of it, then looking at it in relation to Christ and his death. We then looked at a couple of studies as how we come into uh, the inside, if you like, of that knowledge, that it is through repentance, and then last time through faith in Christ, that we come into the experience and the knowledge uh, that's spoken of here of knowing the Lord. And now we're going to move on from that in another few studies to look at that knowledge in terms of what the Bible teaches us it must become and must lead us further into. Not only the matter of being led into that knowledge, but what then happens to that knowledge? What does the Bible teach us the knowing of God leads us to? What are the other issues involved in knowing God? What are the fruits of it? And today we're looking at that knowledge in terms of how it itself is something that must be seen as increasingly what we must apply ourselves to. Because the Apostle is here concerned to set out that knowledge that he has of Jesus Christ, not only what are related to it, but what it itself is designed to be. Because he is telling the Philippians that here is something that in the past he came into, but now he wants more and more to set out increasingly as his own experience. These are very well known verses. We've looked at them more than once. And the title, if you like, for our study could be today the inestimable gain of knowing Jesus Christ. The inestimable gain of knowing Jesus Christ. These things that were gained to me, says the Apostle, those I counted loss. Yea, doubtless, and I do count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now he's putting things in terms of spiritual accountancy. He's talking in terms of profit and loss. He's looking into his spiritual balance sheet. 
And as he does so, the, one of the things that he obviously brings before us is the importance of knowing the principle of profit and loss. Every good successful business knows about the principle of profit and loss. Every successful business indeed lives or proceeds on the basis of turning losses into profits or gains. The more a business goes on successfully, the more losses are indeed turned into gains. That's how a business proceeds, on in the simplest terms, proceeds successfully. A successful business is one that is more and more turning losses into gains, into profit. And there is a spiritual equivalent, the Apostle is telling us. You have to take that principle of gain from loss or loss into gain and you have to apply it in a spiritual fashion. It doesn't mean, of course, that the Christian life is really all about the kind of things that you find in an ordinary business, that it's simply that and no more. But there is an application of the principle and the apostle is telling us something about it so that you and I ourselves will engage in something of that activity to count up our spiritual balance sheet, to look into our accounts book today, and to especially realize how the knowledge of the Lord, how this knowing of Christ, is something that gives us to look into our balance sheet, to look at what it's like. Now verses 4 to 6 tell us what the Apostle himself was setting out for these Philippians. We're going to look firstly at Paul studying his own accounts book or looking at his own balance sheet, spiritually. And then secondly that will take us on to looking at the state of our own accounts book. And remember that at the center of it all there is this matter of knowing Jesus Christ. That is what he is concerned above all things to set before the Philippians. That is what is at the heart of his own testimony. It is that especially that lies at the heart of studying his own accounts book. Well, what does he say? Here he is looking at his own accounts book. He's first of all looking at the early pages of it. The entries that he put into his own accounts book early on in his spiritual experience. Notice what he's saying. Notice what he is saying, first of all, even in his accounts book before he became a Christian. He wasn't a religious man. He had an accounts book before he came to the knowledge of Christ. He had an accounts book drawn up, all tidily made up. Every day he entered minutely in this accounts book as he saw then the entries that were for him a matter of profit and loss. What does he say? He says that being a Jew, and being a Pharisee, and being a zealous Jew, and being a legalistic Jew, was something that he equated with profit. That was my gain, that was my loss. That was my gain, he says, but it's now my loss. But as he, as he looks at these early entries in his accounts book, what does he say? These things were once gain to me. I made up my balance sheet, he said, in the past, in a way that's very different to what I do now. 
and the way that he looks back into his accounts book in the past shows that the things that he now counts as loss were then counted as gain. His early entries, the early pages are such that these things circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, the rigidness, the application, the zeal, the Pharisaic concern to meet the details of the law and the Pharisaic legislation around them. That, says the apostle, was my game. And I looked at one time at my balance sheet and I saw that I was doing all of these things and I was writing at the foot of the page a good performance, a profitable business, a game. But he says, what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. You see, he's now bringing us somewhat further on in his accounts book. He's left behind the pages of Saul of Tarsus the Pharisee, and he's moved into the pages where he began to write entries that have to do with coming to know Christ. And when he came to know the Lord, his entries changed. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. I did away with the importance of being a Jew and being a Pharisee and being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and the legalistic approach that I had to the word, to the law of God. These things I count but lost. They were self-righteousness. They were nothing to do with acceptance with God. They were, entail they were entailing an irreparable loss the more I followed them. But the recent entries are even more interesting. Not only does he say those I counted loss for Christ, but he's coming to the most recent entries in his accounts book and he's saying, yea, doubtless, and I do count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Not only is he saying I have no regrets about the fact that I came to know the Lord, I have never looked back upon it in such a way as sought to go back to where I was, but he's doing much more than that. He's saying, I've advanced on that. My coming to know the Lord and the entrance that I made in my spiritual balance sheet then, even they have been taken over by the entries that I'm writing up now as I write to you Philippians. Because he's moved on from saying, I counted them but lost, to saying, I presently count. And not only is he saying that was something which happened in the past, so that I might indeed come, as he says here in verses 7 following, he's saying, and that I might win, that I might gain Christ. And verse 9, that I might be found in him. And my, verse 10, that I might know him. He's not just saying, I counted things but lost, so that all these things would then take place. But I am now counting all things but lost, so that all of these things will be further explored and known by me. He's not at all happy with the idea of resting upon what he came to know of the Lord so that he would then on the way to Damascus 
enter into this matter of gaining Christ and being found in Christ and coming to know Christ. He is saying, I am now counting things but loss so that I can now and every day that I live say that I am being found in him and gaining him and might know him. All of these things for the apostle are things which he is concerned to enter more fully into every day that he lives. That is why the importance of the knowledge of Christ is so central to his thought. And so we come to the more recent entrance. The early pages have been left behind. Even those that he entered uh, records into when he came to know the Lord, to some extent, have been left behind, though the principles continue to follow. But he's advanced on that. And you can see his advance in the very words that he's using. He's advanced in the knowledge of Christ. He's gained even more of an appreciation of his Lord. He's entered more into what it means to be found in him. He's entered more into the knowledge of him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He's gained increasingly as we look into a spiritual accounts book. What is he saying? He's made a sound investment, yes, but he's added to that investment. He's now in a position to say he has more and more of a profit margin in his accounts book. How can you see that? Well, you can see it in three elements. Because you notice the differences between verses 7 and 8. He is saying in verse 7, The things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. But then you see he is saying in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowledge. He said at one time, the very things which were gained to him, then I was willing to count these things but loss, so that I might have this knowledge of Christ for the excellency of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. But now he's saying, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Not just the things that were gained to me. Not just the things that had to do with him being a Pharisee and a Jew and a zealous persecutor of the church. But all things, every single thing that is, that is a hindrance to me in my knowledge of Christ, every single thing that I myself might cultivate in the place of knowing Christ, that, he says to me, is now lost. I put it behind me. I want no more to do with it if it's going to hinder me in the knowledge of Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost. And you can see how he's advancing secondly when he's saying, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In verse 8 he's saying, yea, I count them but dung that I may win Christ. He's moved not just from saying these things to all things, he's moved from saying they were lost to saying they are actually worthless rubbish. They are, as the word literally means in Greek, they are garbage. Now Paul wasn't despising his birth or the fact that he was a Jew. What he was despising, what he was putting his back to, what he was leaving behind, what he was saying was worthless garbage, he was trusting in these things. 
was making such an issue of them as sought to find acceptance with God through them. These things, he says, I now regard not just as lost, but as worthless rubbish. It has absolutely no value, I realize now, he's saying, in the accounts book of God. In the way that God pronounces righteousness. And I count them but dumb that I may win Christ. You can see it in that. You can see it thirdly in the way he speaks about Christ himself. These I counted loss for Christ. But now he's saying, yea, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He came to know him on the way to Damascus as his Lord. From then on he was his Lord. But he knows him as his Lord now much more than he did then. His conception of his Lordship is greatly increased over what it was then. You can see it in the title. There isn't another phrase like that in the whole Bible. You don't find that description anywhere else in the New Testament. Christ Jesus my Lord is unique to Philippians 3 verse 8. Why is that? What is Paul telling us when you say why is that? Well he's comparing it I think with verse 7 where he's saying this is my advance. What I have come to gain more and more of is the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Every single aspect of what Christ means to him is packed into that wonderful phrase the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The Lord's total ownership of Paul and Paul's total possession or possession of the totality of Christ. It's a wonderful twofold emphasis. Everything that is in Paul's life belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what knowing Christ is about, he says. He possesses me. He owns me. I know him in such a knowing as knows that I am his and that I am his entirely. That his lordship means he has a claim over me that is absolute and total. But the other side of it is also included. That everything in Jesus Christ that belongs to God's people belongs to Paul as he writes. He's conscious of the enormity of his possession. He goes on later to speak about being apprehended of Jesus Christ so that I may apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. And what is that? The prize of the high calling of God in him. This heaven, this glory, this likeness to him, this perfection, this being with him in all eternity. That is the goal. That's why Christ has grasped him. But he says, what I'm now doing is seeking to grasp more and more of that. To bring more and more of that into my possession. Even as I live in this world. As he studies his accounts book. You can see he's moved on from the early pages. He's moved on from the middle pages. The most recent pages. The entries that you see that tell you. That Paul. In his spiritual investments. Is a rich man. Not only is he rich. But he is so content with his riches. He knows Jesus Christ. He talks of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything that is mine in him, he says, makes my spiritual balance sheet now to be so different to what it used to be. 
It is now indeed a prophet and a gay. The things which were gay, I count them but loss. What is the reason for his prophets? Why is this the case? What is the secret behind the apostles' uh, account here as he gives it to us? His spiritual accounts. Well, it is that wonderful phrase in verse 8. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The spiritual excellency. The surpassing worth, the incomparable gain of knowing Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he knows the Lord that lies behind the state of his account book. And it's the fact of what he has made with that knowledge of his Lord that lies behind the state of his account book. How much it is in profit. So that brings us to look at the state of our own accounts book. Now I've preached some three or four times, I think, on these verses. But the very nature of the verses themselves lend themselves not only to the necessity of preaching on them, but surely on the benefit, because the nature of the verses, as we see, is concerned with growing in the knowledge of Christ. And I have to put it to myself as I preach from them today, as I look into my own spiritual accounts book, what is it with me as I proclaim these things to you in relation to the last time that I preached them? Have I actually grown so that I'm able to preach more from these verses now than the last time that I preached them? Have I made such an advance in terms of my own spiritual accounts book that my understanding of what's in these verses by the knowledge of Christ that's in the heart of them is such that I'm now able to, in a more advanced way, proclaim the gospel from these verses? That is something that I have to look to as I proclaim them to you. That is something that I must seek to do even before I proclaim them to you. It's something in which I have to open up my own spiritual accounts book, if you allow me to be so personal, and before the Lord, ask him, Lord, in the knowledge of thee that I have, can I preach more from these verses now than I ever did before? before the Lord I have to do that but you too must do the same thing it's not just for me in terms of preaching the gospel it's the entirety of the Christian life that's concerned that we're concerned with here it's not you in terms of hearing the gospel preached it's your whole relationship of knowledge to Jesus Christ that really is at the heart of this when the Apostle is giving us to see his account book and calling upon us to look into our own today. How is it with your account book? How is it with your balance sheet? Look at the records. Look in upon, at this very moment, look into the entries in the columns of your spiritual account book. Look at the column of the way you know the Lord. Look at the column of what it means to be found in Him. 
Look at the column of gaining Christ and all that comes with him. Look at the column of your service to Christ and the entries that must be found in that column. Look at what it means to share with him in his sufferings in the sense in which our service for him will bring in along with it the reproach of Christ, that which it means in terms of experiencing the opposition of the world and of evil and of our own hearts. All that it means to suffer in whatever way it would have us suffer as Christians. Look at the column that has to do with the fellowship of us. And look at the fruit of the page. Do your accounts balance? Is it a loss? Or are you in profit? Is it gain? Or is it showing a deficit? This is what the passage is calling upon us to do. It's not simply a matter of saying, well, wasn't Paul a wonderful Christian? That's not why he's writing this to the Philippians. That's not why this passage exists in the Bible, so that we can admire the balance sheet of the Apostle. We can do that, but fail to look into our own. And as we look into his, it's the state of our accounts book today that is crucial as we would stand before the Lord. There are some of you unquestionably that are showing a healthy balance. Oh, I know you would not say such of yourselves. You complain of how little you do indeed know your Lord. You complain of how much you find in your heart of sin. You complain of how little you understand the Bible compared to what you know of the treasure that is in it. You complain of how little you're able to do for your Lord compared to what you desire to do for him. But your life shows that you have made gains. Your life shows it in the way that you live your life, in the way that you use the means that God has given you. Not just do you attend to them, but the spirit in which you attend to them shows that you have made advance, that you have grown, and other people will tell you who know the Lord that yours is a life that is seeking these things in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Your life shows even though you may feel at times that it's not the case. The way that you appear to others who know these issues tell us that you have indeed acknowledged that you have not yet attained, but you aren't pressing on. You're forgetting the things which are behind. You're seeking to apprehend that for which you have also been apprehended of Christ Jesus. You are pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, and other people will tell you as well as I, that they know your life is progressing steadily heavenwards. But it's not so with everybody. I cannot say that of all those before me here today. Some of you have not made such advance. Some of you in the knowledge of God have not shown the progress that this passage says ought to be characteristic of a Christian. Some of you were promising but have declined since then to show the promise. There were great hopes concerning you 
that you would take up the places in God's visible church that had been created by God taking away some of his aged people. You were flourishing under the gospel. But then the fruit of it is not what it promised to be. Even the Apostle Paul had to say of some of those that had been under his ministry that he was concerned over them and he was concerned to show them these things such as in Philippians 3. You remember he said to the Galatians when he said in Galatians 4 and verse 11 I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. Where is the blessedness ye speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What is the apostle concerned for there? He's concerned for these Galatians that, as he says, began so well. Oh, he says, who did hinder you? What happened to you? He's concerned to place before them that the fact that he's, he's wrestling with these things in putting these things before them in no way means that he has become their opponent. In fact, he is emphasizing that he is concerned to put these things before them as one of their greatest friends. Am I, he says, become your enemy because I tell you these things? Because I say that I am anxious over you lest my labor over you should have been in vain. And every preacher of the gospel is concerned over those he preaches to. It's not that we are without fault. I acknowledge that as soon as anyone. My own spiritual account book, as I've said, must be gone over in the presence of the Lord. But this is the concern. What is your spiritual accounts look like? To what extent have you profited from my ministry of the gospel to you? What is the end to which God's word has come into your life? To what extent is your knowledge of God to the good of his church, of his cause, of his kingdom? Is the knowledge you have of him, is it something that you have put to such a use as you yourself have gained spiritually and you have been to the benefit of God? My dear friends, these things I say to you as your friend. These things I say to you because I know they are the will of Christ. These things I say to you because I know that out of the will of Christ in the scriptures, these spiritual balance sheets apply to us all. And today, we have to look into them. We have to tally them. We have to see that they show a prophet. Now there are others of you that have not shown at all a concern to be profitable spiritually 
What is your balance sheet like today? You have never come to Christ. You have known so much about him, but still this balance sheet shows so much loss. Are you still like the Apostle Paul was many years ago that he's been telling us of here so that we can benefit from it? Have we come to the point where we have to say and acknowledge before the Lord that whatever entrance, uh, whatever entries there are in the columns of our spiritual balance sheet, if we don't have Christ, it is a disastrous loss to us. We cannot be in spiritual credit, gain, balance, profit, if he is absent. If we are not found in him, if we are relying upon our own righteousness or the righteousness of someone else, or if we are relying on any such thing but the Lord himself, and if we have not come to him and through faith and repentance come to know him, our spiritual balance book today can be full of many, many entries. And yet at the bottom of each page of it, you must write the loss that is undoubtedly yours. There can be no spiritual gain without Christ, without knowing Him. How long will your spiritual balance sheet show such a loss? Coming to Christ is not a matter to be delayed over. Coming to have spiritual gain by coming to him and coming to know him is not something that you can promise yourself. It's something that you and I must do. It's a matter of urgency. Because far sooner than we are aware, our spiritual balance sheet in this life will become our eternal account before God. And if we leave this world showing a spiritual loss without Christ, oh, what a terrible reading our balance sheet will be through all eternity. And not only will it show a loss, but we will be written off. Written off from the face of God. We who knew these things in the gospel to contemplate being written off in the words depart from me. What a terrible loss that will be. It's not a matter of how you feel. It doesn't mean that you don't come to Christ till you feel guilty. You may not feel guilty here today, but the Bible tells you that you are without Christ, without his cleansing, without his forgiveness. Not a matter of feeling things. People tell us, we'll come to church when we feel like it. It's a tragedy, my friends. People tell you we'll come to church when we feel we're in a condition to come. They'll never come if they wait for feelings. And you'll never come to Christ if you wait for feelings like it. <coughs> coming to him is coming to him as you are. Whatever you feel, it's your duty to come. Whatever you feel, it's your privilege to come. Whatever you feel, you feel today, it's your urgent necessity. Or to come to him. 
Spurgeon said, I never find Christ anywhere telling sinners to wait, but I find much of him saying to come to him. John Bunyan was one time imagining Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Preaching to many people he imagined that would have been instrumental indeed in crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And Bunyan gives an account of how he would imagine Peter speaking to those people to repent every one of them. And the reactions, the varied reactions and responses within that great crowd on the day of Pentecost. Bunyan says, Peter would say, repent every one of you. But one might stand up and say, but I helped to hound Jesus to the cross. And yet Peter would say, repent every one of you. Another might say, but I helped drive the nails into his hands. Ah, but Peter would say, repent every one of you. Another would say, but I pierced his side. And yet Peter would say, ah, but repent every one of you. There is no one here today who has a sin that needs prevention coming to Christ. Though you have rejected him a thousand times under the gospel, you will find that he's as ready today to embrace you as he ever has been. Though you have spent years of barrenness under the gospel and have not come to know himself, yet, my friends, his arms today are as outstretched towards us as they were as you read of him in the pages of your Bible to welcome every penitent who would come to know him. You must not look to yourself. You must look to him and flee to him. Your time is short. Your urgency is great. You've spent too long already without knowing him. Make the rest of your life. Long or short in this world doesn't matter. Make it about knowing Jesus Christ. Make it a matter of profiting. Make it a matter of spiritual gain. After all, the Lord who knew better than any of us, it was he himself who said, For what shall it profit a man, though he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? My friend, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Because if you die without Christ, you will have exchanged something for him. And that something will be your greatest loss. Gracious God, we thank thee for the way that thy word so clearly speaks to us. We thank Thee for every evidence of Thy presence that enables us to hear Thy voice. 
We thank thee for the life thou hast given to thy people. We thank thee for thy Holy Spirit, that not only dost thou create life within us, but thou dost sustain it also. Not only art thou the awakener of our souls, but thou art the restorer of us also. We pray, O Lord, for both awakening and restoring grace, that today each one of us, according to our need, may know thy supply, according to thy riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. O Lord, receive us, we pray thee, in all the sin that we find in ourselves and even in our worship. We pray that we may look to Christ, and we ask that thou would accept us in him. And do thou help us, Lord, to have that knowledge of him increasingly that would value thy salvation more and more. Go before us now and bless us on the way with thy peace. For Jesus' sake, amen.